Welcome to Athletes Unfiltered, the podcast made by the athlete for the fans. Now here are your hosts, Adrian Martinez and Jeff Ekstrom. Well, hello, hello again, everyone. Welcome in to episode number three of Athletes Unfiltered. As always, I'm your host, Jeff Ekstrom. Alongside me, former Nebraska quarterback and current Wildcat, Adrian Martinez. Adrian, another episode. It's great to see you. Yeah, great to be here. Um, really excited about this episode. Um, former teammate, all-time favorite, um, tremendous leader, tremendous person, and uh, yeah, it, it'll be a good one. You guys will enjoy it. Luke Gifford, former Cornhusker and current Dallas Cowboy, gives insights at his time as a Cornhusker and right now in the NFL. It's a great episode. You're not going to want to miss it. But before we get to that, We've had some things change in the football landscape here lately. We've had the Super Bowl and the college football playoff not expanding. We'll talk about both. First, let's talk about the big game, the Super Bowl. The Los Angeles Rams defeating the Bengals to win their first franchise Super Bowl. And Adrian, I mean, I thought it was a good game. Um, I think it's not it wasn't memorable in any way to me, but it was a very solid game mm. in I think uh, with considering the playoff games we had before it, I guess it doesn't kind of live up to those, but still a very solid Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it was solid. And I would say it, it holds a little bit better rank than that for me. Um, I enjoyed it really going into the big game. I just want a good game. You yeah. know, too often we see blowouts. We see one team come out and just light it up and it's over. You know, those are the worst. No one likes that. Um, so for that reason, I think it was it was more than just even solid. It, it was a good, entertaining game. The reason it's not one of the greats, even though it included a, a late drive to win the game, is both teams weren't really playing at high levels, you know, offensively. That's what no. the people want to see. The Bengals, really, outside of two huge plays, one really being an offensive pass interference by T. Higgins, um, they wouldn't have scored any points. No. You know, they wouldn't have. Uh, they had a huge play to Jamari Chase early in the game, and then the T. Higgins play that that led to points. Um, they they kind of struggled. Um, and the Rams, they start out kind of hot, but in the middle of the game and, and going even into the beginning of the fourth quarter, real choppy. They couldn't run the ball um, and had a, a bad stretch, but came up, up with it in the end and really – they lucked out in that they have Aaron Donald. I mean, I shouldn't maybe say lucked because <laughs> the guy's been great for however long. Um, I mean, he made all those plays down the stretch. I know the Bengals, kind of the thing we talked about and what a lot of other um, outlets talked about uh, was the matchup between the Rams' defensive line and the Bengals' offensive line. Um, and for the – really, until – First half, it was fine. You know, the Bengals were holding up. They were doing a really good job. They weren't doing a ton offensively, but they weren't giving up sacks, which was big. The second half, uh, they gave up seven sacks, you know, which tied a Super Bowl record. Um, <laughs> With seven, by the way. Yeah, seven sacks. Not not good in one half, right? Uh, so I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. Aaron Donald played really great. Uh, Matthew Stafford with an incredible no-look pass on the last drive. Um, you know, there was theatrics involved, you know, injuries at play, um, 
all in an incredible stadium in Los Angeles. So, uh, and a great halftime performance too. So I think that elevates the game a little bit, a great halftime performance. It was all around a good production. Cooper cup, best offensive season of all time, no matter what position. And I don't mm, think is that, is that your take? That's is my that take. Your take. Interesting. Triple, you know, I found leader, Super Bowl MVP, offensive player of the year. They screwed him over by not giving him MVP, but you know, it's okay. He won the Super Bowl. So who won the MVP this year? Aaron Rodgers. Two time. Of course. Back back. Yeah. I mean, it is a quarterback driven league. Yes, but I understand. Those 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 statistics you just listed, I think you said, I think he's a third ever all time triple crown winner, maybe fourth, something yeah. like that, on a pretty exclusive list. Um, Super Bowl MVP. It's hard to disagree with you because he's had an incredible year and his story is even better. I mean, I think last year was the year he was hurt, right? Or was it the year before? I can't remember. I'm, I'm not sure, but. His story, if you guys haven't heard about it, which I'm sure you have if you're listening to this podcast, I mean, Eastern Washington, I watched an interview of him in high school where he was, they were asking him about like what his plans were after playing, like when he was done with this season, like thinking he was done playing football, you know, <laughs> like, so what do you, like, you're done after this year, what are your plans? You know, he's like, well, I, I hope to keep playing football and blah, blah, blah. And the guys never stopped, never quitted, got hurt, came back, hit it up with Matthew Stafford. You heard about the 6 a.m. meetings every day. I mean, that stuff is like what gets you fired up, you know, what it's about. And he balled out. And that last drive, I mean, they went to him constantly, constantly, almost force-feeding him. I, I was actually watching the game on tape uh, a little bit earlier today and just an, an underrated aspect. Matthew Stafford, who has a cannon of an arm, he gets late throwing Cooper Cup the ball. They were probably around the 40 yard plus 40 yard line. Um, throws him like a 10 yard out route from the number three slot position. Underthrows it. Cup is smothered, but he has incredible body control, comes back to the ball and makes the catch, just snatches it. And it looks it looks so easy, but playing the game and throwing to guys, and that is so hard and to do it on the biggest stage crunch time i like it was second nature i'm i'm really adding to your argument but the guy uh the guy's a stud i'll, I'll give you a fact before we move on cooper cup he won all those awards like i mentioned jerry rice i don't know if you heard about it jerry rice is the only other wide receiver to win super bowl mvp triple crown and offensive player of the year and he did that in a career mm only he did it this it. year. Okay. In one year. That's hard to argue. It's hard. To, I can't. I can't. I wish I knew you would have said something. I would have came with a better argument, <laughs> like at least something to counter that. But I can't. <laughs> there you go. Argue one. Love it. Uh, <laughs> now, but you have an argument here. You have a hot take about Matthew Stafford, now a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Yeah. Well, the day after the Super Bowl, you know, ESPN and Fox and whoever else just can't let it rest, but they're already making an argument that he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, which is it's ridiculous. Matthew Stafford has one Pro Bowl, not Pro Bowl, All Pro mention. It might it might be just a Pro Bowl for all I know. Pro Bowl, 
it doesn't mean anything. I hate to say it. There's like 10 alternates. Like five guys don't even play every year. And you have Mac Jones as your Pro Bowl quarterback. And he's not he's not in the top tier of the league. You know, you have middle of the middle of the pack. I mean, he's a rookie, but middle of the pack quarterbacks playing in the Pro Bowl. All pros where it's at. That is when you are at the top of the league. He's put up great stats. Never won a playoff game until this year. Obviously, they won the Super Bowl. Did pretty well. Um, he had Calvin Johnson, Megatron, arguably the best, one of the best receivers of all time. One Super Bowl does not make him a Hall of Fame quarterback. He needs to put together a couple more seasons, get a couple more individual accolades to join that elusive, exclusive class. That is the Hall of Fame. When you look at Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the recent generation, those guys have incredible individual accolades. I mean, you're looking at the Dan Marinos, his stats, accolades, Kurt Warner, Super Bowls. You know, Eli Manning is is a fringe guy right now, and he's won two Super Bowls. You know, I, if you look at Matthew Stafford's career record, I'm sure it's under 500, you know, or maybe right near it. He needs to put together probably a strong next four to five years to be considered a a candidate to be a Hall of Famer. Now, I'm not saying he is, but to play devil's advocate, do you think it's because he played for the Lions for all those years he didn't get those personal accolades compared to other guys? I I just picked Tom Brady just because he's the GOAT, but like if you can just compare the seasons that Tom Brady was all pro or pro bowl compared to Matthew Stafford's years where he was still very solid and didn't get all pro, they might be similar, and yet Tom here is getting all the accolades. And yeah. I think that has to do with public perception as well. Again, I'm not saying he is a Hall of Famer, but I think what needs to be taken into account is that he played for a dismal franchise for over a decade. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they made the playoffs three times, and they had talent on those teams, and the winners win the rewards. You know, They get the accolades. And if truly... Being an all-pro is the highest honor you can earn individually. I mean, outside of like MVP and, you know, offense player of the year, those things um, in the NFL. And they recognize guys who are playing at the, the, the best level. So I don't think being on the Lions was an excuse for Megatron. You know, I, it wasn't an excuse for, <laughs> for whoever, you know. If you're the best, you get recognized as being the best. And I get it. It's really hard to make – that list but to be a hall of famer you have to hall of fame is the elite of the elite it's not the very good it is the hall of fame you know and matthew Stafford's very good and hey look we're just talking sports talk he's obviously yeah. a great quarterback he just won the super bowl but he's not a hall of famer yet well hot take hot take from adrian not a hall of famer yet matthew Stafford. scalding hot take <laughs> One last thing before we talk to Luke Gifford, college football playoff, not expanding to 12 teams. I've been an advocate for it. I want it to happen. And due to, like everything else, due to money and everything else, they are not expanding. Uh, They will not cut the deal two years short, and they will keep at four teams. Adrian, I think it's a blown opportunity. I think so, too. Um, But with the ever-changing landscape that is college football right now with like we had talked about off the air 
Texas, Oklahoma moving to the SEC and mm-hmm. Houston and BYU, I believe. I think UCF maybe um, moving into the Big 12, right? There, I think there's another school in there um, moving to the Big 12. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. The, the landscape is changing so much. I could understand that being hesitant towards making that decision. But I don't understand why these conferences wouldn't be on board now when – 12 game or 12 teams benefits these conferences that are getting left out like the ACC, like the big 12, you know, right now, um, you know, with the current setup, I think it's flawed, you know, and you're bound to get two sec teams and a big 10, like the pac 12. Why aren't you advocating hard for this? I think they were actually, I think the pac 12 commissioner was the head of that, um, that sort of proposed plan, mm-hmm. but I agree with you. A, a missed opportunity indeed. And something that I, you know, you see it played out in the FCS level. They have a, a, a larger playoff bracket. Um, but there would also have to be some changes uh, to how long these seasons get to what the bowl games would look like. And I get it's all a lot. But, hey, that's that's your job, man. Let's yeah. figure it out and let's get this <laughs> thing right. You know, there's a lot of things happening. But, dude, you signed up for it. Let's Let's get yeah. it right. Jim Phillips, who's the ACC commissioner, uh, is the main proponent of not expanding it. And uh, he lists the reasons, uh, as in they pointed to uh, too many unanswered questions as it relates to health and safety of the athletes, the overall disruption in college athletics. Hold on. What does that even mean? What does that even mean, dude? This is is from Phillips himself. Health and safety. Like, that's what they... (laughs) Uh, I hate to say this, but it's what they said about like COVID and things like that. Like it was a bullshit excuse. It's a bullshit excuse. Like take that off. Like take it off. That doesn't, you don't mean that, dude. You don't mean it because when it, it's about the money, it's about the money, dude. You don't care about the health and safety. Come on. Uh, I think the main one is expanding it would add like three or four more games. And that's basically an NFL regular season schedule. I think that's why they mentioned the health and safety. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, and I, I said that, you know, adding the games, the bowl games, there'd be a lot of restructuring, but something to figure out. Yeah. And then he also lists the new NCA constitution in a desperate plea for federal legislation in terms of NIL. So that's, again, I don't see how NIL really has to do with the expansion, but that's what uh, Jim Phillips is saying right now. And that's, the reason why we don't have an expanded playoff. Mm. Well, my man, let's get it dialed. Let's get it figured yeah. out. And yeah. <laughs> come on. I want to see more games. I, 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 I'm a fan. I, I need to see more games. I, I don't care. Just figure it out. Yeah. Please. But play, play in some more games, see some more games. Let's, yeah. let's make it work. But, um, you know, like, like I had mentioned, like we had talked about, it is changing every day. Um, and who knows what it will look like two years from now? You know, who knows? But you know who knows something about college football? First guest of season two. You played a year with him. He's a current Dallas Cowboy, former Cornhusker. It is Luke Gifford joining us. Luke, thank you so much for coming on here on Athletes Unfiltered. Fellas, appreciate it, man. I'm a big fan of the pod, so it's, it's an honor to be on. Yeah, I'm, I'm psyched. I am psyched uh, for Gift to be on. Uh, one of my all-time favorite teammates and 
you know, the first captain I had, you know, and uh, him and Gerald just will always mean a lot to me, kind of show me the ropes and we're genuine good guys um, as older dudes on the team and, and kind of laid that foundation for what I wanted to, to be like, you know. So excited for him, excited to get into the weeds with this dude. Let's get it. Yeah, so you guys played one year together. But before we talk about your time at Nebraska, Luke, let's go all the way back uh, to the beginning of your football story. I mean, kind of just tell us, obviously you are in a very athletic family. Kind of tell us how did you get into football and what attracted you most about the sport? Yeah, um, so I started playing when I was really young. Um, just like most of us, but I really never like had one sport that I loved growing up. I kind of played baseball, basketball, football, um, and loved all of them really. And then kind of got to high school and, and figured that football was probably my route if I wanted to make it, you know? And, um, so I probably decided that after my sophomore year and really kind of poured everything I had into it. You know, I still played baseball and basketball cause I loved it, but, um, yeah, that was when I decided that football was for me, you know, so I um, went to Lincoln Southeast, go Knights, as we were saying, that's a pipeline. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a diehard Knight, but yeah, man, so high school, um, I, that was really when I, when I decided to pour everything into it. Yeah, and I mean, you, you could throw the pigskin a little bit. You're a quarterback, <laughs> right? Throw yeah, the yeah, pigskin. Yeah. Oh, no. let's dial that back. Let's dial that back. <laughs> hey, don't do not ask Gerald how well I threw the ball. Don't, we don't want to go there. No, there's a lot of zone read, you know. Um, but yeah, man, I I uh, I I, I saw my recruiting process and everything. Like I uh, first got an offer after my junior year. I think was kind of when things started picking up for me. You know, I was always a diehard Husker fan, so it was like. As soon as I got a Nebraska offer, it was really a no-brainer. Um, and that was when Bo was still there. And I had, you know, we were – at that time, we were going to Big 12 championships. I just came to the Big 10, um, winning nine games, you know, every year. So, I uh, I was like – it was it was over as soon as they – as soon as they offered me, I committed right away. And um, it was really a no-brainer. So, Mm, that's interesting. Bo Pelini. Uh, so when was it the next year? Was it your first year that he'd gotten let go or? Yeah. So that was my, yeah, my redshirt freshman year. I redshirted that year. Um, that was, that was, uh, that was hard for a lot of, yeah. I mean, you know how it goes. Um, yeah, I do. But, and I think, you know, you can say whatever you want about, um, that next staff, you know, that's a, I think everybody, every Husker fan loves to talk about that. Um, but I honestly, like you can find good in everything, you know, and I think that, um, coach Riley was a great guy, you know, it obviously didn't work out, but like, I think that coach Bray, he was my linebacker coach, um, for a couple of years, he was probably one of the better coach coaches I ever had. And, and to be honest, I don't know that I would have ever, kind of turn the corner like I did playing linebacker if coach Bray wouldn't have been there. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it was hard at the time to see Bo go. Um, but I think that for me, um, having, having coach Riley and coach Bray around really, really helped me in my, in my football, my football career. Mm, without a doubt. Yeah. You, you said you could find the good in anything. And 
I mean, that's the perfect example of it, you know. Um, man, you started out originally as a safety, right? Isn't that – and you yeah. made the transition to linebacker? Yep. So I started out as a safety, um, and I was, like, skinny, man. Like, yeah. I was probably, like, 210 my freshman year, but I was pretty tall and lanky. And uh, so when that new staff came in, we we had lost a lot of linebackers. They moved me. And those first two years were, like, brutal. Like I was just, I was not made to play linebacker in the big 10 at that point. You know, I'm like yeah. two fifteen soaking wet. So <laughs> that, that Wisconsin gap scheme was not good for your boy out there. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can <laughs> so, imagine. Oh man. It was so frustrating, but, um, and then, you know, I had hip surgery, um, my redshirt freshman year as well. So, or redshirt sophomore year. So that was like, kind of when I started to get comfortable and started feeling good about it and then had surgery like halfway through the year and set me back again, you know, actually it was my redshirt freshman year. So then my redshirt sophomore year came around and really like was back to square one, hadn't really played many much special teams. And to be honest at the time did not care to like, yeah, no one really does. No, No exactly. You know how it is. You know, when you're that age, you're like, I'm trying to get on, get in on defense or offense and, and make plays, you know, but so I didn't care about special teams. I wasn't playing. Um, and really like, I remember like, I think it was, um, after my redshirt sophomore year, we got another D coordinator. Uh, that's when Diaco came in and they switched to a three, four and moved outside and everything. But prior to coach Diaco getting hired, I had actually had a conversation with coach Bray about, if spring ball didn't go well, that I was going to think about leaving. And we were just, we were on the same page that like, we were going to have an honest conversation at the end of spring ball. Cause I just felt like, you know, at the time, you know, you know how it is. Like at the time you're like, I should be playing. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. That I'm sitting yeah, I mean, and, and, and things can change so fast, you right. know, like right. your position and where, yeah, where you're at in the depth chart, who leaves, who stays, coaching changes. I mean, things exactly. are so quick. And spring ball is definitely uh, where a lot of that happens. You know, For sure. For sure. I think, honestly, that's where, like, I finally made my jump was that spring. And a lot of it was, was just because I was, like, physically ready, finally, you know. Mm-hmm. But but I think just a new scene, Coach Yako came in. It was, a, it was a new defense, and it really just kind of fit me better. And, honestly, yeah. from there – like kind of just took off and and really I started I think those first five games of my junior year but then had hip surgery again on the same hip and that was tough you know um but I had got those four or five games on your belt and you know you know it's like when I think your freshman year you know you go in there and you light it on fire and then it's like you get that confidence and you know you can do it for For sure those those five games were like all right I know I can play at this level like I know I can play in the league I just need to be healthy. And then we got Coach Frost and, and you know, the whole new staff. And it was – I mean, I love those guys to death. And it was probably one of the best things that's happened for, for me. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's been a well, crazy I, up and down deal. I, I remember you uh, <clears throat> being injured. I don't think you participated in spring ball. And no. you were sort of late coming in in the summer. And, yeah. I mean, as a, I enrolled early and I got to know all these guys and everyone's like, hey, like, Gifford's good. Like he's good. I'm like, yeah, I mean, he looks the part, but like, I don't, I don't know. I've never seen a play. And then I was like, holy shit. Like this dude is nice. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I didn't, 
I didn't know, you know, as a new guy until you, you'd finally been able to kind of get in there um, right. and start taking those reps. I think the coaches were kind of up in the air a little bit too, but I mean, they you, were. you silenced that pretty quickly. Well, it's, it's crazy. It's kind of funny to think about cause okay. So my whole like college career, high school, whatever, like I've had the hardest time gaining weight, you know? So my first <laughs> yeah. time I heard surgery, my redshirt freshman year, I'm like thinking, I ate everything. I had to eat everything to keep any weight on, you know? Yeah. So when this surgery comes around this time, I had already bulked up a little bit. I was much more physically developed, whatever, but I'm thinking the same way. I'm like, I got to eat everything. I'm smashing burgers, going through <laughs> runs out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I will never forget, forget bro. I, I stepped on the scale one morning and it was like 258. And I was like, <laughs> holy oh, shit. My God. You know, I'm freaking out. I call my dad. I'm like, dad, I weigh 258 right now. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> so mind you, like, we just get a new staff. In my head, I'm like, man, I played five games. I went crazy in my five games. Like, I, they can't tell me nothing. Like, I know I'm a man, whatever. Yeah. Well, they show up and I'm too dang near 260. And I look like a, the Pillsbury Doughboy. So yeah. it's, not, it's, it's probably, not a good look. Probably not good weight. Yeah, probably no, not good weight. <laughs> not a good look, man. So I think everybody was kind of feeling that way. You know, all, like like mm. you said, you didn't know anything about it. The coaches really like all they had was five game games to watch. And then yeah. my fat ass running and, and during winter conditioning, looking slow, you know. like So yeah. it was just kind of a – it was a weird uh, – Weird transition. It worked out. Worked out well, but man, mm. Luke, I want to go back. I don't mean to backtrack, but I want to go back to when Bo was fired and Mike Riley came in. Can you guys? Can you give us a perspective of how that went down in terms of uh, how did that meeting go? Uh, Bo Pelini, need that maybe an exit meeting or whatnot. Just mm-hmm. how did that process go? Yeah, so that whole thing was just wild. Um, so I redshirted that year. So I actually didn't travel to Iowa um, for that Black Friday game. Um, so I remember just waking up and getting an email that he had been fired. Um, and then we got, you know, I don't remember who reached out to us about having that meeting with him just to, for a little closure, you know. Um, but I do remember going and, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Everybody's heard that that tape, you know, and, and the whole – I don't know who – who filmed it, who recorded it, whatever. But to be honest, it doesn't really surprise me. You know, I think it was like. What tape? Hold on. What what tape are you talking about? (laughs) So when Bo got fired, he had this like, uh, basically just, we met at uh, North Star High School and he just wanted to talk to the team because he didn't really have an opportunity. And so we met there and someone recorded his whole like conversation. And it was like, if you know anything about Bo, like Bo was not holding back, you know. I'm sure he's emotional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, he was. He was yeah. letting it fly. So of course, then that that gets leaked, and oh yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a whole thing, you know. And I, I have no idea who did it. No one does, but it was wild. So and there was like, you know, Bo was one of those guys who he's a players' coach for the mm-hmm. most part. Everybody loved him, but then. It's like anything with with someone who teaches tough love, you know, like there's always going to be those guys that are not a big fan. So, oh, yeah, I, you know, it doesn't really surprise me that something like that happened. But, um, yeah, it was it was a it was a wild situation for sure. Mm. 
Yeah, and I mean, did you ever think about transferring after that? Obviously, being a Lincoln native, that helps. You grew up loving the university. Was there mm-hmm. any doubt in your mind um, that you might leave? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, my redshirt sophomore year, I definitely thought about it after. Um, but Coach Diaco coming in and just a new scenery, that really kind of was like a breath of fresh air for me. You know, I didn't like – I think it was really hard for me, like moving from safety directly to playing in the box. And I just didn't see the game very well when I first made the transition. So I think Coach Diaco's defense kind of really allowed me to play in space more and be in a role that I was more familiar with. And then, you know, now um, I look back on it and it's like, thank God I did play inside at some point, you know, because that's all I do now. I play Mike, Will, um, so, so in the long run, it helped me a ton, but at the time, that's exactly what I needed was a new defense and just a, a fresh look. So, to, to jump around a little bit, does the experience playing outside linebacker and safety and also in the box help you with your role now, playing Mike and Will um, in professional football? For sure. I think, I think the biggest thing I learned was, like, at this level, you can't, play at a high level if you don't know what like everyone is doing like at all times you know and I thought that like in college you can kind of get away with it and not that I didn't know necessarily in college but it just you know the scheme's not as as diverse and there's yeah there's a different level of understanding there's a totally different level of understanding right so now I think you know it's just at this the the margin of error is just so small and even in the big 10 you know that like there's yeah. Just, oh, yeah. The, the difference between winning and losing is like nothing. So mm. I think that was the biggest thing that I had to learn was just like the the detail and and attention that it takes to win at this level and be successful is just it's it's a whole nother level. <clears throat> mm. Yeah, and I mean kind of go back to uh Bob Diaco, you said his system fit you uh well. And I kinda wanna talk about for a second. Obviously, there are reports of tension within that defensive group while he was there. And obviously, he's kind of a tough love guy as well. Was there tension within the defensive room there while he was there? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, I never had I never there's had tons of things out there about him. I'll just, I'll just oh, say know. that. Exactly. I know it. I know it. There, there are stories still being told now to Man. the current team about Diaco's tenure. And they're all true. They're all true. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I like him. Like, I I never really had a problem with him. It was – the way he did things sometimes was just wild. And you had to understand that, like, he really only wanted the best for us, you know. It's not like he – I never had a time where I felt, like, personally attacked. My dad's yelled at me since I was five years old. And for me, it's like water off my back. You know what I mean? You can yell whatever you want to yell at me, and it's just not going to mean that much. You know, I'll take the good mm. what I'm trying to learn from it and keep going. So for me, it wasn't that big of a deal. But Adrian, you know how it is. Like some people just react differently to certain coaching, and not everybody loved the way he was doing it. So yeah, and I, and I would say, in most people in this current generation, really don't receive that kind of. Uh, message very well you know and for better or for worse i mean i grew up in a tough love type of environment with my dad you know very similar to what you were saying and i'm used to that you know you know anything about coach verdue i mean you heard him for a year but 
he was he's a screamer he's he's nuts and he's right. constantly going and going and for me like it worked you know and and that it's because of my upbringing but that doesn't it probably doesn't work for most people you know they really don't respond well and yeah uh to say the least i've heard a few of those type of things about tiako <laughs> it's it's funny because even now, like every time I see or like meet a guy that's played for him at some point, I'm like, yo, so you play for Coach Diago? And and it's usually the same kind of response every time. For the most part, yeah. guys, you know, guys like him and enjoy their time with him. But like everybody's yeah. got a good story from from when they played for him. So Gotta love you, it. Can you tell us one of those stories quick? Oh, man, and, I'm trying to think. Traffic unfiltered here? Well, okay, <laughs> so – this isn't this isn't too bad, but so when he first came, we had when he first came, we had already made our whole summer schedule. Like the wait staff had everything mapped out, and then he got there pretty late. I don't think he got hired till like maybe right before the summer. Or no, he was there in the spring. But he saw the schedule and he decided that he didn't exactly like what was going on. So he basically made it so that there was like two days a week where it was like mad drills basically. But so it was like a circuit with a bunch of different, a bunch of different agility drills, push-ups, sled pulls, stuff like that. Well, he, he made it so that we did it at two in the afternoon, the whole team, every Thursday and Friday, two in the afternoon, it's like 110, you know, and in July. And so the first time we did it, I think I made it like, four stations and i'm like when it comes to when it comes to running is not my deal you know like those things kill me (laughs) and this is like the you know i had a good spring so he had a good impression of me but i'm still like working my way up and we got to like halfway through and i i'm in a push-up station and i i go up in a push-up and just full body cramp like (laughs) like Forearms, biceps, chest, quads, everything. He's yelling at me like I'm. I'm face down on the turf. I can't even. I'm like, dude, I can't do anything. You know, like I don't know what to tell you, coach. So uh, Mark and the trainers come over and they scrape me Mark. up off the turf. Yeah, Mark scrapes me up, take me inside. You know, and I'm getting an IV and he comes by and he's like, so you didn't drink enough water? You think? And I'm like, coach. I don't think the water was the only thing that was causing me to die out there, you know? Yeah. But, and there's plenty of stories like that. It's he's, he was something else. Well, speaking of tough love, then how did it go going from a head coach like Bo Pelini to a guy like Mike Riley? It's different, different for sure. But I think, you know, I think one thing that sometimes people tend to overlook is that to me, I've always felt like the coordinators and the position coaches almost have a bigger role than not a bigger role, but they have a huge role in like development and in the team, you know, like, Mm. and every head coach is different. Um, But I think that like, I think that those assistant coaches and coordinators have a huge, huge role in in how the team performs. Yeah. And I, and I'd even say, especially at a place like Nebraska where there's so many responsibilities a head coach has to fulfill that aren't necessarily football and you know this or culture building whatever it is like kind of big picture things those coordinators and position coaches spend a lot more time with the players and have a lot to do with the scheme and how it's implemented and how it's actually run on the field so 
I, I'd 100% agree with that. For sure. I agree. I think I think Dallas is is really similar to Nebraska. Honestly, I tell that pe- to people all the time, like in a lot of different ways, like it's a fishbowl, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Like hey, Nebraska football. Got a ton of what, attention. Exactly. And so I think it's honestly kind of the same way, like Coach McCarthy to me. And I, I know I know he has a lot of responsibilities uh, within the team, but like he has so much going on and so much responsibility that I think having two really good coordinators is like huge that's the key to our success you know um so it i think it's different everywhere but um especially in nebraska places like nebraska Mm. and and same with dallas yeah dan Dan quinn right that's the dc at the cowboys they got kellen moore yep yep so dq is like man he's probably one of my favorite guys i've ever played with he was like he was in seattle when they were legion of boom and they had all those guys, Cam Chancellor, yeah, 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 yeah Earl yeah. Thomas, Bobby Wagner, all those guys. So he's just – he's a great dude. Like, our culture's amazing. You know, it's been so fun to play for him. So breath of fresh air for sure. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't mean I to cut imagine. you off. <laughs> I don't cut you off. I want to talk about the NFL. Um, let's say that for a little later. How's that sound? It sure. lets, uh, I want to talk about the other coaching change, though. By the time you get to your last year, um, there is another coaching change from Scott Frost. Uh, in that point, you're kind of seasoned. You know how that process is. And what was kind of, I guess, how did Frost come in and how did you get to know that coaching staff? Yeah, um, you know, I think, like you said, I had been through it once before. So, And I was, like everyone else, I was so excited for Coach Frost that it was like, you know, there was – I was just so excited to get started and be around him that um, I took every opportunity I could to like be around and talk to him. And, but that was the other thing was that I was coming off surgery. So like Adrian was saying, I wasn't really around that much for uh, like winter workouts and stuff like that. And they, they couldn't see me work out. They didn't really know much other than seeing my five games from the year before, you know? So it was, it was hard. Um, and also from a standpoint, I felt like my junior year, I had kind of established myself as a leader and had really started to take over that role. But then having surgery and being out for so long and not being able to participate in winter workouts, which we know is like a huge, a huge part of every year's team, you know. Yeah. Um, so not being able to lead really and and or at least not being able to lead that I would have liked to. Um, that was hard for me. But I think the coaching staff, like Coach Chin was always great to me right when I got there. You know, we started watching film right away. And, and Coach DeWitt at the time, Coach DeWitt's never, another really good coach that I loved playing for. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was nerve-wracking, honestly, because I didn't really know what they expected from me or what they thought of me. And to be fair, they didn't really have much to base um, their, their thoughts on. So – I knew that I was going to have to really go to work when, when fall camp came. And, and honestly, like I remember going into camp and I was supposed to be on a pitch count, like not doing much, you know, the first day I'm out there doing everything, just dying, you know, (laughs) but it, that's the way it was. Like, I didn't really feel like I had the luxury of taking it easy or like Mm. not doing everything to show them that, yeah, I am the guy that I've, I've been walking around like I own this place because I've, I feel like I can play at that level. You know what I mean? And not to, I would, I'd never try to be cocky or anything like that, but just like, 
as a leader and, and as a senior, like I felt like and knew that if we were going to be successful, that I was going to have to have a play a big part, part in it, whether they knew that yet or not. So, Oh yeah. You, you got to own it. Yeah, <sighs> for, sure. for sure. Now tell me how you and Adrian met. Well, man, how did we meet? When was the first I don't, time I don't we met? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I was going to say the first like story I guess I have, or that I tell people about you is when we did, um, when we did like the seal team stuff. Yeah. The yeah. program, when we did the program. Yeah. The program. Yeah. Yeah. And that was in the summer sometime. Right. I think it was. Yeah. 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 So he had a great spring, you know, killing it. Everybody's losing their shit for Adrian. <laughs> and, uh, and so then uh, we do, we do summer conditioning, whatever we do the program and the program, you know, it's, it's pretty tough. And they basically, it's just all about finding your leaders. Right. So, I think it was the last day and we were doing the swimming and they picked Adrian as I think he was the, the team captain for, I think I was in his group. And I just remember yeah. thinking like, this dude's got it. Like for him oh, yeah. to be able to run this, like he's running it right now. Like this dude is for real. And I, and all of us thought that, like, I remember Gerald, Mick, like all of us, we were like, yeah, this dude's, this dude's going to be the quarterback here for, a long time, you know, and obviously that's, that's how it ended up. But that's like one of the first stories that I tell everybody about you is because it, it was just so evident, like what kind of dude you were and the, and the way that you worked that you were going to be a really good player. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I'll never forget that either. You know, I, I remember being tasked with that and, and it was a big opportunity for me and I had to take advantage of it. And honestly, like, I'm a hell of a swimmer. I have to flex. I'm, I'm nice at swimming. So like, I was like, this is my wheelhouse. I'm about to go off. Let's go. Um, and the whole, like carry the sweatshirt above the head and all that. Yeah. It was, yeah, we, we did the program again the next year and it wasn't the same. And then we just, we cut it off. Were you in the, were you in the meeting room when one of the DBs asked, you, yes. <laughs> I don't know yes. if I should. <laughs> I don't know if I should mention that or not. Uh, well, I, I mean, yeah, I was, I was in there. I, 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 that's another story I tell people all the time. I'm like, this yeah. is the type of stuff that happens in a locker room. Sometimes you would think that people would know better, but nah. no, no. I mean, I feel like I have to clue some people in. I'll try. Yeah, to keep you got to go ahead. I'll try and keep it PG. So like. Pretty much the program is run by former military guys, and it's it's like a three-day boot camp type thing that you wake up at the crack of dawn, like you're at the facility at four in the morning for no reason, like doing crunches and all types of stuff. Um, but when they first introduce themselves, you know, they're going through their experiences, whatever, and kind of fielding in questions and – this young DB from from the South. He asked him, he's like, hey, so like, how, how many dudes have you killed? And everyone's kind of like, 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 what? Like, why would you ask that? And uh, I can't remember what the guy said. He, he didn't like give him a number or anything. He was just like, well, like I served or something like. And I don't even know if the guy finished his answer or not. But Damian Jackson stood up. And he's like, if you ever 
fucking ass at again. Like, everyone's like, oh, everyone went dead quiet. Like, oh my gosh, like, what are we doing? I I thought Damien was gonna be like four rows deep into the uh, stand, crawling over him and get ready to stick a pin in his throat or something. Yeah, something crazy. uh, Yeah. No, I mean, no one ever made that mistake again. No. Djax is that dude. We'll always be that dude. Yeah, he is. He's 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 such a good dude. I think that was the first time I was really like, oh, like, (laughs) uh, I can see this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's gotten. You didn't really get to see his progression, but he, on a side note, I mean, yeah, really turned into a good football player. You know, special teams stud, and uh, you know, played some snaps at. A DN too for us this last year. So yeah, I saw him in there. It was it was cool seeing him in there. He works so freaking. I mean, you know, he works oh, so freaking tank. hard. Oh my god, absolute gosh. tank. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. What's any other Damian Jackson stories? Oh, nothing I mean, on top of that. I mean, no. But I, I always just like watching him lift. Or actually, even when we did the first when we did the seal thing or the the program. And we were doing the swimming stuff. Watching him swim, I was like, it was almost like creepy. Like he just like yeah. hovered in the water with his eyes, just his eyes above. Like, and he'd come up and take a breath, and then he'd go grab someone and keep him from drowning. You know, <laughs> like because none of us are good sw- good at swimming. So he was the only yeah. reason people were like making it through it. But yeah, he's pretty impressive. So Luke go into your senior year and things just click all big 10 honorable mention you mentioned now you were physically ready so what else went into that that made you just play out of your mind your senior year compared to past years um you know i think the biggest thing for me um and adrian i've kind of heard you talk about this on on the pod last year um but like early in my career i really struggled with just like my performance impacting who I was, um, Mm. especially when I was younger. Like I still remember my first start was against BYU, my redshirt freshman year. And everybody knows they beat us on the Hail Mary. Well, I was covering the dude that caught the Hail Mary. So I'm like on the bottom of the pile, like my first start, I'm plastered all over sports center, top 10, you know, like just, it was just like, for me, someone who had grown up in Nebraska and like worship Nebraska football, and had like dreamt of their first start at Memorial Stadium for so long. And then to have it in like that, that was really hard for me. And honestly, it kind of set me back like for a while. I had a, a rough redshirt freshman year. Um, and a lot of that I would say is because I just let like football and my performance define who I was. And, and I know Adrian, like similar to you, like my faith is really big for me. And I think that when I kind of, allowed myself to go out there and play freely because I know that I'm not justified by anything I do on the field. That's when I really kind of took my game to the next level. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, I don't still struggle with it or I I don't let it define me at times, you know, but I think that I'm way more conscious of it now. Like, and especially, you know, later in my career when I understood that it was, it's, you know, it's a game. Nebraska football is super important, but like, at the end of the day, it's a game and it's a blessing just to be out there. Um, so when I think when I really started to understand that, that's kind of when I went out there and just played. And I didn't worry about missing a tackle and what someone was going to say about me on Twitter or 
or mm. watching it in film the next day. You know, like it's it's part of life. It's um, in the grand scheme of things, not very important. So mm. um, I think that's really what kind of pushed me pushed me to the edge and, and got me to where I'm at now. Mm. Was there a moment that you discovered that you were over letting how you played define yourself? Um, you know, I don't know that there's one moment. I think for me it was really gradual because I struggled with it a lot. And honestly, um, like going through injuries and stuff like that, that kind of, it made it harder for me. You know, I, I think my redshirt freshman year, sophomore year when I had surgery, like I just didn't, like it would, I still, the fact that I wasn't playing and couldn't be out there and like didn't feel like I had a role really made me feel a certain way. You know, like I, I didn't feel um, probably not, not worthy, but like, just like, I didn't feel like I was doing enough yet. And I let that impact the way that I went about everything that I did, you know? Um, So for me, it was really gradual and I have like a great family and support system. And so, so that was the biggest thing for me, like just talking, talking about it with my dad, like my dad was always super honest and upfront with me. Um, so that was probably the biggest help for me, but it was never like one situation that changed it. Like it, it took some time for me to understand that. Hmm. You get through your senior year, you go into the draft. Let's talk about the NFL. Take us through the process of going through the draft and then going through that undrafted free agent signing with, uh, the Cowboys. Before yeah. you even before you even start, it was a, a crime that you weren't drafted. A crime. <laughs> and I mean uh, it's only be it's because of the I mean the winners get freaking rewarded. You know, if we yeah. would have went six and six that year, you're your second team all big ten. You know, it's 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 how yeah. it goes. And you know, I it, that's I just had to put that out there. You go ahead, well, you take over, but I appreciate that because I'm not gonna lie, I'm still pretty salty. Um <laughs> <laughs> I look, I'm, I'm glad with the way it's worked out, but I'm still salty. So I appreciate that, Adrian. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah. So going into the draft, I like, I kind of like late in the process kind of started to, to climb boards and stuff. And so when the, when the draft was coming around, I felt like there was a chance I could get drafted, but I, for me, like I had had a couple hip surgeries. And if, if you have like medical things, the only way a team's going to draft you is if they bring you out for a visit and get you do a physical and all that. So there was only, I think there, I went three different places or two, I visited two, two places, Minnesota and new Orleans. So those were like the two places that I was like, if I'm going to get drafted, it'll probably be one of those two places. And you know, it's Adrian, you'll just wait and see, but like everybody feeds you BS leading up to the draft. Mm. Like, position coaches telling you, yeah, man, I'm like banging on the table for you, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really pulling yeah. for you, you know? So, so it's kind of like, I didn't really know what to expect. So day one and day two go by, whatever day three comes around and my phone's just lighting up all day. Like basically like that, the lions are texting me in the fourth round. Like, hey, we might take you with this next one. Goes by, they pick some kid from Hawaii that I've never heard of, and then they fuck then, that kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So, so then uh, Dallas, Dallas had actually been calling me like a couple of weeks before, and they they were like one of the teams that was honest about where they saw me, and the linebacker coach was like, you know, we love you, but we just 
don't have enough picks, you know, we're not going to be able to draft you. But if you do go undrafted, like we'd love to have you. They had a plan for me, all that. So going into going into the draft, Dallas was a place that I thought was a possibility. Um, so like round five or six, they called and basically set up a deal so that if I went undrafted, then I was signed with them. And so we had that all set up. My agent had told other teams that unless they were drafting me, not to bother because we were going there. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then like seventh round, um, New Orleans calls me and they have like two, I think they had one pick left. And the linebacker coach then actually ended up being my defense coordinator last year. Kind of wild how that all works out. But um, he's like, all right, man, we're going to, it's either you or this other kid. Um, like keep your phone right next to you. So I'm like waiting. Here it comes. It's the other kid, some kid from Idaho state or something, you know, like, like, man. So then, so then uh, Minnesota has two, two picks to end it. And honestly, at this point, I'm like, it's kind of, once you get to that point, it's almost better to be able to go undrafted. You have, you have your choice. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and I knew Dallas had a, had a layout for me and a plan kind of. So at that point I was like, man, I'd rather just end up in Dallas. And so Minnesota's pick comes around and they pick a long snapper. And I'm like, okay, dude, like, <laughs> it is what it is. It's just not, yeah, me, you know, for sure. So as soon as the draft was over, I, I signed with Dallas and honestly, it's been like a huge blessing. I think the situation that I came into was, perfect for me you know i had guys like sean lee Leighton vanderis jalen smith all three of those guys to learn from in which i I didn't really understand when i was younger but like um actually barrett rude i think was one of the guys who kind of explained it to me was just like you know sometimes as an undrafted guy it's better to come into a situation like that because then they're not always looking for the next guy to 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 bring in you know they're not sure spending a bunch of huge draft picks and and, you know, that was early in my career. Obviously, now we got a lot of big, big time guys, um, mm. but it, it's worked out. It's been great. I love it here. And it's been a huge blessing. Yeah. I mean, it's it seems like it's worked out really well for you, you know, being able to play on teams. I mean, see you making tackles. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's pretty big time. How was Sean Lee? I mean, that dude's. I don't know yeah. if he's a Hall of Famer, but he's damn near close. You know, yeah. he's pretty legit. I, th- he, I mean, if that guy had stayed healthy a little more, I'd say like mm. shoe in. You know, but he's um he is one of the coolest dudes ever. He really took me under his wing when I came in. Um, him and Leighton Vanderesh. Leighton's one of my good buddies, but yeah, um, I think just I think Sean learning from Sean was probably one of the best things that I could have could have had early in my career just because the way he worked and the way he prepared was like unmatched and he's probably one of the smartest guys i've ever been around in my life like just football iq out the roof and he's probably going to be yeah. a freaking head coach someday you know when he decides he wants to coach but he was just he was awesome he he was so fun to be around so now you play your first preseason game and you balled out one pick <laughs> one tackle one pass breakup and then you have an ankle sprain. How and you were out till week five or six, I believe. Mm-hmm. How frustrating was that? It was terrible. You know, it was just like a. It was just. It just it just made too much sense for it to happen to me. You know, it was like everything I've dealt with in college, and now it happens again. You know, but that was that was um, 
when when Dallas decided to keep me on the 53, I think that was like really telling because I was pretty unheard of for someone to stick with an undrafted guy after eight plays in the preseason and like a solid mm-hmm. camp up until that point, you know. So for them to keep me on the roster and then uh, wait it out until I got healthy was big time. But and then later that year, honestly, I, so later that year when I came back, I was kind of getting back into you know. The, finding a role. And then um, the game that I was actually supposed to start playing and rotating, I snapped my arm on the first punt. So it was just like, I couldn't get anything to go my way, you know, but it's, it's all part of it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it now, but it is kind of, I do kind of wonder, you know, what would my role look like if I would have gotten those opportunities in the last couple of years, you know, cause then again, we get, I get a new coaching staff for my second year and it's kind of like starting over from, from ground floor. So, but it's, it's been great, man. I, I love it here. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm a firm believer and I, I'm, I'm sure you are too. And things happen for a reason and what a blessing that you're at where you're at now, you know, and you, you have had the opportunities and you, you made the roster and you got um, a chance despite some of those injuries, you know, how stressful was that first process of like making the roster and like what did what did training camp look like? What did rookie mini camp look like? Um, yeah, you know, hitting you with a lot of questions, but sort no, of uh, some of those experiences. Yeah, man. So I, rookie mini camp was like it's dumbed down a little bit, but they just throw the whole freaking book at you right away, like as yeah. as far as plays and stuff, you know. So, and at that point, that was when I really learned like. I thought I knew a lot about defense or football. And then I was like, okay, I don't know anything, you know, like this is, this is pretty intimidating, but it, it's, it's one of those things where they just want to see how you react to it at that point. Mm -hmm. And so you just kind of, you know, you don't make the same mistake twice. You just keep moving. And, and if you do mess up, you mess up going a hundred miles an hour. Um, So that was kind of my approach. And then training camp. So when, uh, when I was a rookie, we had coach Garrett. Um, he was our head coach and he's, he's pretty old school. And so like at that time, hazing was like, not hazing, but like, yeah, there was all sorts of stuff that they were making the rookies do, you know? And so my, my rookie year, I had to sing like five or six times at training camp. And I, dude, and, and this was like, this was another thing that I think I obviously didn't expect coming into the NFL. Like, it depends on where you're at, but like training camp in the league is like, I mean, it was, it was worse than fall camp in Nebraska. I would say like it was, it was just as bad or worse. <laughs> I know you're like, uh, really? Like, come on, <laughs> yeah. so like, but it was, it was terrible. You know, it was, it was hard. So I didn't expect that first of all. So that was the first rude awakening. And then you get to camp and they're hazing the crap out of you. And Sean as good of a dude as he is. He loves hazing people more than anybody. Like that guy is all about the rookie hazing. So the first night I get there, you know, we get to, we, we go to Oxnard, California for a training camp. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're like, all right, Giff, uh, go get the snacks. And I'm like, dude, what? Like, how am I going to do that? And they're like, well, you get an Uber. And if you don't spend like at least 200 bucks on snacks, don't come back. So I, I go to Walmart with one other guy. We stock up on snacks. You know, it's like 11 o'clock. We got to be up at 630 the next morning. Oh. Love it. So that was how we started camp. Well, then every night throughout camp, they would make people sing. And it's like 
the whole freaking room is packed with people, the whole Dallas Cowboys organization. There's probably like 250 people in there, you know, players, yeah. people that work there, whatever, cameras. So they call you out, you get on, you go stand on a chair, you say your name and sign bonus and you sing. And it's, there's no music. It's like acapella, you know, and I'm, I am not, I am not a singer, bro. Like, I'm yeah, I wouldn't take you be, as, as no. being musically inclined. <laughs> no, not musically inclined at all. So I got up there and I had seen a few guys go, you know, and, and they were terrible, like trying to rap and stuff. And it was just, yeah, they get booed no. off stage, just terrible. So I go up there and I just let it rip, bro. I'm singing, I, I sang like probably like three or four different country songs, Johnny Cash, like okay. first and done, like I'm, I'm doing old ones, you know, but the worst thing I ever did was like try really hard and, and they enjoyed it. They liked yeah, it. They, they so, wanted you back. That's bad. So yeah. it wouldn't be bad. <laughs> and I was like, man, I hate to be good and, and come up here again. But yeah. So I swear I was, I was studying song lyrics more than I was studying the playbook, my, my whole rookie training camp, but <laughs> it was, it was a good time, man. It was fun. It was, I yeah. look back on it now and it's like, you know, stories I'll tell forever, but pretty cool wow that's that's fun that's really fun um now you've gotten obviously you've played in college now you're nfl what's a get some perspective what's a metaphor that you would use to show how tough it is to play in the nfl oh man i don't even know it's like that's that's a tough question i think that the NFL is just so like we were talking about a little bit earlier, like the details and the margin for error is just so small in the NFL that, you know, I felt like in college, like any win was a good win. You know, you get like, I know that it seems crazy when you're beating Buffalo or whatever, or like whoever it may be. But at that time, like, it seemed like, you know, we kill somebody and it feels good, you know, like, it's not easy to win any game. There's a lot of preparation that goes into it. A lot of many like one-on-ones throughout the game that you got to win. You know, there's a bunch of stuff. And then you get to the league and it was just like times 100. I felt like, like, mm. like even special from the standpoint of special teams, I felt like I didn't realize that special teams or never gave enough credit to it before I got there, that how big of a part of the game it is, you know, and how much goes into it. And so I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to put a metaphor to it, but I just think that the level of preparation and detail is like just through the roof, you know. And especially when you're playing against guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and guys that you know are like spending their whole day at the freaking facilities figuring out ways yeah. to beat you, you know. So yeah. it's 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 really cool. It's cool to be a part of it and to experience it, but it's definitely a whole different level. Mm. Now, kind of going off of that college and NFL type comparison, who was the best player you played against in college or maybe a couple players, and who was the best player you played so far in the NFL? Um, I think in college probably probably J.K. Dobbins or Jonathan Taylor. I thought those were two of the best guys that I ever had to tackle or played against. Um, I always tell people TJ Hawkinson was really good too. I thought mm. I had to line up against him every play, you know, so whether I was covering him or he was blocking, I think um, 
he was he was a guy that was fun to play against, and I thought he was probably one of the better players I played against. Um, yeah, he was top ten pick. I mean, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's, I, he's been going crazy in the league for sure. So, um, him, and then you know, in the league, it's hard to say. I haven't played a ton on defense, so I don't know that. Um, you know, I guess like just through film and stuff, I would say Tom is just like he's so advanced, and the stuff he does is just so crazy you know like mm. he's just so much ahead of everyone else that there's no wonder why he has won as many rings as he has like yeah just, he's truly he the goat yeah he is just truly the goat you know um but then i think like even just in practice like zeke and dak and cd and amari like every day in practice is like playing a freaking pro bowl team you know yeah i mean, I mean those like, dudes are yeah those dudes are pro bowlers i mean yeah. they're studs dak prescott yeah. I mean, what's it like being around him, you know, practicing against him? It's cool, man. He's a really good dude. He's like, he's a really good leader, saw guy. We're, we really have a good group of leaders and um, guys in our organization. Um, so that's been really nice. You know, all the vets and the guys that have been around for a long time are all helpful and um, just love the game and, and love to love to help, you know. So it's been really nice. But um, he, he's a good dude. He's a really good dude. Now, have you ever met Jerry Jones yet? I have. I actually have a, I have a pretty good Jerry story. So okay. um, when I got hurt, I guess it's not technically Jerry, but when I got hurt um, my rookie year and I sprained my ankle, the team was supposed to go to Hawaii the next next week for a game against the Rams. And instead of making me go to Hawaii, they flew me home. And I got to ride on uh, Jerry's jet with Jerry Jr. and Steven and so okay. uh, wow. there's a little more to the story that I guess I'll tell because it's your podcast. So oh, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> it's nothing great. But so anyways, we get on this, we get on this jet and there's probably like three or four of us um, that were injured or had a reason for going back. And, and then, so it's us four and then Jerry Jr. And Steven and their, his wife, I think, and we're, we're getting on the plane and, um, and Steven or no, yeah, Steven comes back and Steven's like, hey, uh, any of you boys want to drink? And he points to the first guy and the first guy's like, oh, I'm good. And points to the next guy, he's like, oh, I'm good. And, and he points to me and I'm like, yeah, of course I want to drink. Like, what do you got? And he's like, oh, we got plenty, pal. And he whips out this cooler. He's got the beer. He cracks a beer open to me, hands it to me. He's like, man, I knew I just had to ask the Nebraska the Nebraska boy can't turn down a beer. I'm like, dang right, he can't turn down a beer, especially hey, hey, on that this jet we're on. <laughs> <laughs> that helped you make the team right there, exactly. man. I think that's that was a said. good first impression. That's what I'm saying. So I, that's kind of my claim to fame with them. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Now, what's the coolest NFL player interaction you've had from an opposing team? Oh, man. Um, that is a good one. So I did take a picture for Russell Wilson and Everson Griffin once. Um, that was pretty cool. I didn't talk yeah. to him, but I took a picture for him. That was pretty sweet. Oh. <laughs> um, and then I think another kind of funny one was just um, this this past year on Thanksgiving. We had a little there was a there was like a little scrum on the Raiders sideline, um, and I was deep in there like trying to pull guys off. I don't know what I don't even know what I was doing in there. I wasn't doing anything important, you know. And I turn around and and Derek Carr's like, God, I cannot remember what he said to me, but it was something along the lines of "square up," 
you know, like just messing with me. <laughs> and it was, and he was like, he, if I've never talked to him, but he's just like a super nice, genuine dude. And it was probably, yeah. probably, it made me laugh, you know? And to me, I'm like, Hey, it's kind of cool. Derek Dars told me to square up, you know, whatever. But that's probably my other one. It was pretty cool. Yeah. That's so, I mean, just stuff like that, man. Like you're in the league, you're in the league yeah. and it's so cool to see. And you're interacting with those guys and you have, you're, you're on the same playing field, you know? It's, uh, yeah, I'm sure that's pretty surreal for mm-hmm. you at times. It is. It definitely is. I, I try to keep it in perspective too. You know, I think that that's the biggest thing is you never know when it's going to be the last, last game you play in the last year you play, you know, like yeah. I just know that at this point, like it's all a blessing. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm satisfied with where I'm at or don't. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. But it's, I think it just helps me, you know, stay grounded and, and understand that like, this is not a forever thing. It's, it's something that not very many people get to experience, and I just just want to take advantage of all the time that I can get. Luke Gifford with us on Athletes Unfiltered. Luke, it's been a great time. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been awesome hearing all these stories you have for us. I appreciate it, guys. It's been fun to be on. Yeah, was, thanks, man. That was Luke Gifford, former Cornhusker, current Dallas Cowboy, and that's going to wrap up episode three of athletes unfiltered of this second season big thanks to luke and make sure to check out our social medias at ath unfiltered on both twitter and instagram and make sure to check us out on tiktok as well we are officially on there too and of course the sports podcast awards are out fan voting is open until march 6th so make sure to go and vote for us if you enjoy this podcast and always make sure go check out our youtube channel we're live on there as well as well as any other past episodes thank you so much for joining us from adrian martinez i've been your host jeff ekstrom this is another press conference this is athletes unfiltered we'll talk to you soon a Media production.